Welcome to Learning with Lowell. I'm your host, Lowell Thompson. We cover biotech and science-related topics on this show, such as startups working on antibiotic drugs or colon cancer, to venture capitalists talking about funding and how that worked, to people talking about how they and you could found a science-backed startup. Two, and this is one of my favorite parts, people talking about the science, specific science-related topics such as whales or protein engineering. You're really going to get a lot of and it's all going to be about science on this podcast. There are two main episode types. One, the case study where one or a group of people talk about what they did and you can kind of get a sense of how you could do it as well. To the second type, which is a group talking around a theme such as citric greening, which is coming up soon, or neurodegenerative disorders, which I'm also working on. Please sign up for our newsletter to get a other resources and outside podcast content from guests of my own research, which comes out every Monday. Join us every Tuesday for new podcast releases and check out the website every Thursday for something new. You can find us at, at Lowell here on Twitter, Facebook, and my website, learningwithlowell.com. And don't forget to subscribe, tell your friends, and leave a review. It takes really only 10 seconds for you to do any of those things, which helps me and my guests create great content because it gives us feedback. Let's let other people know about it. And the more people will know about science and support it, the better everything is. Today, we are joined with Diane DiNapoli, the penguin lady, a penguin expert, TED Talk speaker, award-winning book writer. She lectures internationally about penguins, how to help the penguin species, how to ensure that they have a place in our future. She also was instrumental or she also was a part of the process to save about 40,000 penguins after an oil spill. So she has a quite a lot of knowledge and a very diverse way of looking at the world. She was a lot of fun to talk with. I think there's a lot here that people are going to enjoy. Let me know what you think. Please and thank you. You know how when like when people care very little, they say who cares? Like who cares about yogurt or who cares about whatever? Why did you choose to care about penguins? Why did you choose to give a care? Ah. Uh, well, penguins were accidental. Um and I'll tell you how I got there. But really, I've always just cared very, very deeply about animals and our planet, the environment. Um, I grew up near the ocean. My parents loved sailing, so I always spent a lot of time out on the water. And so I just have always had a, a natural affinity for the ocean and and a very, very deep love for animals, which I think probably came from my dad. Like, we used to watch all the National Geographic specials together. And um, there was a show on TV back in the day. Uh, Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom, which was sort of the only animal shows before Animal Planet, long before Animal Planet. And we watched that together every single Sunday night. And it was sort of a bonding ritual for us. So I think that's probably where the love of animals came from. And I always was like bonkers for dolphins because there was a show back on the in the 60s called Flipper, which was about this dolphin that would save stupid humans from doing stupid things. And so, but what fascinated me about it was the ability for the animals, this, this dolphin and people to communicate with each other, to have this shared understanding and language. Mm -hmm. And, and I sort of always, and like Dr. Doolittle, the original movie was the same sort of thing that he could talk to the animals. And I just, I've always been fascinated with that. So I wanted to work with dolphins and, um, uh, that seemed like an impossible dream. You know, it's like something you see on TV and in the movies. So I didn't pursue that um, until I was uh, 30. And I decided, you know, this this dream has sort of always been in the very back of my head, but I didn't know how to pursue it. I didn't have the confidence to pursue it. And I finally realized, you know, I don't want to get to the end of my life and look back and regret that I never tried to do this. Mm -hmm. you know, it, it may not happen. It may not. It seems very like a outlandish thing to try to do, but I have to try. Mm -hmm. And so I went back to college for a second degree in veterinary science. And during that time is when the whole penguin thing happened because I had an internship at the New England Aquarium in Boston for it was a full time four month internship. And I worked in the penguin department. And that really was my first introduction to penguins. I'd never been a bird person. I'm really much more of a mammal person and a marine mammal person. Mm -hmm. uh, by nature, that's what I'm drawn to. But that was when I first met penguins. And I went, oh, you know, these guys are kind of cool. Mm -hmm. And and so when I graduated, I sort of had the choice. Do I do the dolphin thing or the penguin thing? And at that point, my parents were aging. And I thought, you know, I think I want to stay in the Boston area. So I pursued a job at the New England Aquarium in the Penguin Department. And that's how the whole penguin thing started. Mm -hmm. well, what was the catalyst that made you want to go back? Like, was it like to college? Yeah. Uh, it, it, the catalyst, well, 
sort of two things. Um, for my 30th birthday, my parents gave me really what was a life-changing gift. They gave me an Earthwatch expedition. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you're familiar with Earthwatch. It, and for some of your listeners, if they're not, Earthwatch is it's a sort of a volunteer-based vacation. So you pay money to go assist some doctor mm-hmm. uh, uh, gather their data in the field. And so there's expeditions around the world. They have about 125 a year. And so I chose to go to Hawaii and spend a month working at a lab there that had four dolphins. And I just, you know, it was like the best month of my life. I Mm -hmm. thought, oh, my God, this is incredible. And I really it sort of re-sparked that childhood dream of working Mm -hmm. with dolphins and made it seem maybe possible um, and so that was when I said, I have to go back to school because I have to, I didn't have the, I actually, what happened was I applied for an internship there and I was rejected because I didn't have the right type of degree. Mm. So I'm like, well, I need the right type of a degree to just apply for this internship. This wasn't, you know, to get the job, the permanent job, this was to get the internship. And I said, I just, I have to try. Mm. And I got the internship and I was there for another four months as an intern and became a dolphin trainer. And it was amazing. Mm. So yeah, that was sort of what sparked it. Well, that sounds great. Uh, I I I did not hear that hear of that before you mentioned it, like the Earthwatch thing. But it sounds familiar, so I I probably know it somewhere in there. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll look it up later. What? I yeah, I briefly mentioned it in my book. There's like a a very short you know couple paragraphs about it in there. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. One of the things I think some people fear is that when they go back to I don't know, like reboot or to find, get into the thing that they care about, they feel like they'll be so behind schedule you know like they won't be able to do a lot of things and like catch up but it seems like you haven't maybe had that problem because you've been been i don't know seemingly more successful like you've written books you know you've been very active in the community so i like if you like how did you overcome that or to what extent has that affected you well i definitely felt that way Mm -hmm. i i really i had a lot of trepidation and uncertainty going into that because i thought oh my god when i graduate if i do this by the time I graduate, I'm going to be 36 years old. And at the time, that seems so old to me. Like now, in hindsight, that seems young. But at the time, I thought, oh, my God, I'm going to be 36, and I'm going to start a whole new career, and that just seems so difficult. And 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 then I thought, well, if I don't do this, I'm going to be 36 in four years anyway, just without mm-hmm. a degree. So I might as well do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it really was about shifting my mindset and shifting the way I thought about it, you know, because I remember in the first semester back at college, the professor telling us, you know, if you want to be a veterinary nurse, you know, this is going to be a lot of hard work. It's you are not going to be getting paid much money at all. Mm-hmm. You know, she kind of gave us all the reasons why we might not want to enter this career. You know, and which was good. I think it was she was being realistic and also sort of to weed out the riffraff, maybe like if you're really serious about wanting to do this, then you're going to ignore the naysayers. You're you're not going to focus on the negatives. You're going to focus on why you do want to do it. And so it really was sort of just my passion for making this happen. I mean, I actually came up with a mantra because it seemed like being a dolphin trainer seemed still impossible. And my mantra became, someone has to get that really cool job of working with dolphins, mm-hmm. so it might as well be me. Yeah. And I literally, I chose to believe that would be true with every fiber of my being. I just made a decision to believe that. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what happened. And mm-hmm. so I really kind of have used that sort of mindset and philosophy moving forward in my career and everything that I've done, because I never could have predicted all the stuff Mm -hmm. that was that I'd end up doing when I started this, not in a million years. Mm -hmm. Um, And so for sort of each goal or each step along the way, I've Mm -hmm. sort of had that mindset of, I believe this is going to happen and Mm -hmm. I'm just going to do everything in my power to make it so. It reminds me of the quote where the person says, the person who believes they can and the person who believes they can't are both correct, right? Right, so it's, yes, Ford, Henry Ford. Oh, there That's you go. Yeah, whether you believe you can or believe you can't, you're right. Mm-hmm. Which is, yeah. I, I think, very empowering. Uh, maybe a silly question because I think I can guess your answer, but was it worth it <laughs> going back and getting another degree? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it it completely changed the trajectory of my life. 
And and that's not to say, you know, for whoever else wants to do something, they might not need the degree. You know, if they, they have this big dream to start a business or, you know, whatever it might be, they might not need a degree. For what I was doing, I did. I mean, mm. to, to get into the zoo and aquarium field, you for most places, you have to have a bachelor of science degree mm. um, in some sort of a related field. So for me, it definitely, yeah, because I, I wouldn't have gotten that job at the aquarium mm. without that degree mm. or without that internship. Um, so definitely it was worth it. Yeah. And I think since then you've been pretty active in helping penguins. You know, there's a, a couple of fun stories. Well, I don't know, fun stories. Like there were some uh, oil slicks and stuff and you were out there helping the penguins. Is there, I think a lot of people see, you know, when there's an oil slick of some kind, they're like, okay, there's a problem there. But like 360 or other days of the year, there's stuff going on that maybe people aren't being aware of. So what are what are some things that has been falling through the cracks that you've noticed that people should be more aware of because it's it's a big deal? Like an oil slick, but like more subtle. Right. So maybe on a more subtle level, and I think lately there's been a, a lot more awareness around this, um, but plastics pollution, mm. you know, I think people are becoming more aware um, because plastics ingestion is something that is affecting, you know, a lot of, a lot of aquatic animals, seabirds, turtles, whales, dolphins, penguins, albatross, um, you know, these animals that are starving because we're depleting the oceans of their food because of overfishing, mm -hmm. um, they're now eating whatever comes across their path. And in many cases now that's plastic. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's a big, uh, eliminate the use of single use plastic and straws. Mm -hmm. So people can like buy a metal straw or a glass straw or a bamboo straw and carry that with them instead of, you know, it's saying when you go to the restaurant, no straw with my drink, please. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and that's a big campaign that's happening right now. The biggest two problems for penguins specifically are overfishing and climate change. So global warming mm -hmm. is really the biggest problem. And and the, the biggest problem that it causes for penguins is the depletion of their food source. Mm -hmm. So it basically shifts the cold water currents that their food is in, making it harder for them to get to that food mm -hmm. to survive for themselves and their babies. So on an individual basis, whatever we can do as individuals to reduce our own personal impact yeah. on the planet in terms of our carbon emissions, that's going to help not just penguins. I mean, they're an indicator species, so, yeah. you know, which means they're near the top of the food chain. And if we see their population declining, it means there's a problem in their ecosystem. Uh -huh. uh, so not just for the penguins, but for all animals, you know, yeah. for the, the planet. I think if we do everything we each can, um, everything in our own power, to reduce our carbon footprint, mm -hmm. we're going to be helping all animals. Mm -hmm. It's uh, it's kind of a fun thing that, I don't know why I keep saying fun, an interesting thing that, you know, like some people when they're old, they're like, oh, when I was a kid, you know, soda pops cost like a nickel and um, the world was so much better. But like, if we don't do the right things when we're older, we're going to be like, there used to be so many more penguins. There used to be mm -hmm. so many more things going on and you know the rate of asthma and like health related things because of yeah. pollution you know you you wouldn't have that so it's like the like you can't pass the buck anymore which is why it's like some of the people have been on the podcast like the younger like the people like they're like under 12 or something like that they're very 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 active and mm -hmm. being a part of that so it's it's good to know like people care like if you saw like complete apathy in younger generations that is not oh. that would be horrible you know it's it like, would be horrible yeah. I know. No, I'm so inspired by the younger generation, by, you know, like little kids and teens and in their 20s. I think I think this these next generations coming up are seeing the mistakes that, you know, my generation and maybe before and just after have been making mm -hmm. and have made. Um, and they are catalyzed to do something about it. You know, and certain, that's not to say that nobody in other generations cares and, mm -hmm. and isn't trying to do things. I think there are so many of us that are. Mm -hmm. um, but it is really inspiring to see that, especially with really young people. Mm -hmm. I mean, I look at some of these kids. I'm like, oh, my God, they're incredible. Like, they totally inspire me, mm -hmm. you know. And, and, and they also, I think what's so cool, especially about the little kids, mm -hmm. is... I think they haven't yet, when I see some of these kids, I don't think they have yet sort of gotten the, the message somehow that one person can't make a difference. Mm -hmm. 
And so you'll see these, you know, one kid starting a campaign to have clean water in Africa or, you know, in a village and, mm -hmm. and they raise all this money and they make it happen because mm -hmm. they basically, no one's telling them they can't do it. Mm -hmm. Somehow they've gotten that message, which is very different. I think from, from my generation, there was this whole sort of kids should be seen and not heard. And, mm -hmm. you know, you're a kid, so, you know, you can't really do big things. Mm -hmm. And and I think for kids today, they, and, and I don't know if social media has something to do with this, but they see that, yeah, I can, I can have a campaign online. You know, I can reach all these people mm -hmm. with my message. I can start a Kickstarter, right? Mm -hmm. Or a GoFundMe for an idea that I have and they can change the world, which mm -hmm. I think is really exciting and really cool. Yeah, me too. The, and I definitely, there's a, like talking about other generations besides the, current ones that are going on like the younger ones there was a person in the 70s who is solely responsible for getting lead out of water and stuff so like back mm. then people were like yeah let's drink that lead but you know, he he worked for like 20 years on it and he got lead out so it's like like i think wow. there's there's great people in every generation so it's it but it's definitely good to know that as someone who's like seeing a couple generations or like mm. seeing different you know like you can like you'd know like if it wasn't if you were, if you did all your work throughout your life and then you saw people being apathetic, like I imagine you would be less hopeful. So like the fact that you're hopeful, like makes me hopeful as well, which is oh, great. Oh yeah. And I think too, and I really do like, you know, that's a good example how in the seventies it took them 20 years. We didn't have social media in the seventies. Mm -hmm. And so I think the, you know, this good and bad with social media, but I think some of the good is that it, 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 uh, decreases the time frame, the timeline for, for being able to do something like that, because you can get your message instantly out to the whole world. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and you can catalyze millions of people where mm -hmm. in the seventies you had no way of doing that. So I think it has helped us to mobilize people and, and, you know, get groups of people together, um, to be able to make a difference about things. So mm -hmm. I think in that way, social media is going to help solve mm -hmm. some of the problems that we have. Mm -hmm. Definitely the connectiveness that we have nowadays. That's, it's one of the things I always think about. Like if you're, if you're not doing what you want to be doing now, where you can relearn or learn skills or connect with people through the internet, through like literally you can stay in bed and, and write people that are important and ask <laughs> questions and learn. Like, you know, before you'd have to like go somewhere and like, you know, maybe go to library. I, I can't. Library. Yeah. yeah, I can't imagine doing like the old card system where you had to like oh, look. Yeah. Uh, Dewey Decimal System. Yeah. yeah, I can. I can find it. Like I can figure it out. But I imagine that's very tedious. But so. Yeah. Oh, so, I spent so much time in libraries as kids. I loved libraries because they were just full of information, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, but now you just you just it's at your fingertips on your computer. So it's mm -hmm. so much easier to research now. Although now you do have to be much more. Um, uh, circumstance you have you have to really kind of cut through the BS because because anybody can put anything online mm. you just have to be a little more careful about okay is this accurate information or not so yeah definitely yeah. I, I still I like libraries I have like every library I have like six different library cards because they allow me to have like as many library cards with as many libraries as possible so I'm trying to, <laughs> I'm trying to support them but uh, awesome yeah I love libraries still too for for people for people who want to get into conservation and they don't necessarily see the pathway to do that, how would you recommend they, you know, gain the knowledge so they're not just like shouting like, oh, there's a fire over here, but they want to know, like, identify the right fire and like how to effectively combat that. Like, how would someone do that? It's like That's you, a really good question. Yeah. <laughs> a really difficult one to answer, honestly. Yeah. Um, I think you have to choose your battles. Mm -hmm. And I think that's true in life as well as in business. And you have to figure out what is the the one thing, like just maybe start with the one thing. What is the one thing I am most passionate about and I want, I'm the most passionate about changing and really investigate that one thing. Like don't try to take the whole thing on, but what is the one thing? And then just research that and contact those people. Like who are the people that inspire you in that arena? You know, like this person's doing amazing work. I Maybe can I intern for them or apprentice for them or just, you know, pick their brain? Would they have time to spend a half hour with me or an hour with me giving me some advice of how do I get into this field myself? Mm -hmm. um, I, it's it's a hard question to answer because there's so many different aspects of conservation work. Um, 
But, you know, once you sort of have decided, like, yeah, I really want to do this, then I think you have to get the education. Mm-hmm. You know, you may have to go back to school for a related degree um, in that field. And oftentimes through that process, you'll have internships. Mm-hmm. And I internships and volunteering are, are one of the most important stepping stones, especially in this kind of a if you're talking about conservation, mm-hmm. uh, because it's so hard to kind of get your foot in the door. There's there's. You know, it's not like um, I want to intern for an IT company because there's a gazillion IT companies, right? Mm-hmm. But in terms of conservation, it's a smaller field and there's not as many people doing it. Mm-hmm. So it's, it may be harder to get your foot in the door. So I think an important thing for getting your foot in the door is to really be uh, the most amazing intern they've ever had. Mm-hmm. You know, like not just going and spending your six weeks and saying, there, I did it. Now they're going to hire me. It's like going and showing them how passionate you are, how dedicated you are, how hard you're willing to work, yeah. you know, that you're willing to give everything. And, and that is one of the most important things I think you can do for breaking into the field. Mm-hmm. So that would be sort of the general advice I might give. Oh, excellent. Would, is there any specific advice? Like if someone who's listening is like, I like penguins, how do I help uh, get in conservation with penguins? So like we have like a, a broad, is it possible to have like a specific example from that? Yeah, 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 absolutely. So for penguins specifically, the place I would definitely recommend people look into doing an internship at is a place called SANCOB. It's Mm -hmm. S-A-N-C-C-O-B. And their website is Mm sancob.co.za. And they're in Cape Town, South Africa. And they are the world's leading uh, penguin and seabird rescue center. And they are the people we worked with during the treasure oil spill in 2000. So that's the oil spill where we saved 40,000 penguins Mm -hmm. from this oil spill when a ship named the treasure sank there. And they oversaw this whole rescue operation Mm -hmm. and they do have regular internships there. I think most of them are six weeks and they might also, I think they have six week and three month internships now. Um, And so I would definitely recommend them as a place to look into. Um, They're probably the best known in the world for what they do. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that would be where I would start for sure. Well, excellent. Yeah. Transitioning to what you do in conservation, what are some things that you're excited about that you've been working on or well, you know, know of? Either yeah, I, my my work, what I do now is because I worked at the New England Aquarium in Boston for nine years. I was a senior penguin aquarist there. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, my work there was working daily with the penguins, educating the public about penguins and then doing things like going to South Africa for this this rescue operation. And since leaving there, I started my educational company, which is called The Penguin Lady. And mm-hmm. I now travel locally and internationally teaching kids and adults um, Mm -hmm. all about penguin biology, behavior, and conservation. Mm -hmm. And my mission is to raise awareness and funding to protect threatened and endangered penguin species. Because now 13 of the 18 species are listed as as threatened or endangered. Mm -hmm. So I donate 20% of my proceeds to different penguin groups, such as Sankob and other conservation Mm -hmm. groups. Um, So so what I am focusing on is lecturing. I recently, I was really excited this past February, I was in Antarctica as a guest lecturer for Lindblad Expeditions and National Geographic, and I'm actually going back again next year. Um, And that's really exciting because that is sort of, um, to me, I I have always wanted to work for them as a Mm -hmm. lecturer and because they sort of are the best at what they do. Mm -hmm. And, um, And I have the opportunity through them to reach a lot of people who have influence mm-hmm. and be able to hopefully inspire them to want to do something to help protect penguins. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that is, is a really exciting development. Um, I'm, I'm really excited about going back next, next year. It's going to be a three week expedition to Antarctica, the Falkland islands and South Georgia Island. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm hoping to do more of that, more of the guest lecturing on um, international level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Is it, when you guest lecture on an international level, is it any different than a not international level? I mean, is there any like nuanced difference between it? Like other than I mean, you get to meet like a variety of different people, so I imagine that's different. But is there any like I mean, other differences? Like, is there? Yeah, I don't know if that's if that question makes sense, but like, I'm just curious, like how how yeah. would it stack up? No, I know what you're saying. I I don't. It's interesting. I don't. For me, in terms of what I am doing, 
and getting a message across. I don't know that it's terribly different than speaking, you know, locally or nationally than internationally. But just as you just said, I am meeting some mm. really fascinating people and mm. having really deep, meaningful, interesting conversations with people from all around the world. Mm. Um, and so that, and I think it's enriching for me and for them. Um, like I know I just had some amazing conversations with people that are highly educated, highly involved with the world. Like, you know, they're, they're, they're seasoned travelers. They are passionate about the planet. They, they're passionate about nature and the environment. Um, and so, yeah, it's just, um, I, I've really enjoyed it. I mean, mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, definitely. But yeah. it, it's good to know that if anyone's doing any lecturing now, they could be like, Oh, they work really hard, you know, the skills will transfer, you know, like it's not like some higher order mental gymnastics, I guess. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so far we have two great organizations, the one in South Africa and mm -hmm. your own. Are there other great organizations that maybe are not as well known or that you like to know more about? Yeah. Um, yeah. I was thinking about that this morning. The, the, another one that's really great is called GPS or Global Penguin Society. Mm -hmm. And I don't know their URL off the top of my head. It might just be gps.org, but I'd have to look that one up. It'll be in the um, show notes. So. Okay. Okay. Good. Yeah. I'll, I'll get that to you. Um, and that is run by a group of about oh, five, six, seven of some of the world's leading penguin experts that are field researchers. So Dee Borsma, who's probably the best known penguin expert. Um, she also has a TED talk. Um, she's really passionate advocate for penguins and she works primarily with Magellanic penguins in South America and Galapagos penguins. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, um, actually I've got their book right here. Um, and then Poppy, I always call him Poppy, but his real name is Pablo Garcia Borbogolo, which is hard to say, yeah. <laughs> uh, but they work together. Um, and so they're part of this, they started GPS mm -hmm. and they're sort of, uh, uh, they do education, they do conservation, they do field work. So they're sort of, um, they kind of cover all the bases. Mm -hmm. And so people can go to that website to, to learn information about penguins, to find out how they can contribute and help, you mm -hmm. know, how they, what organizations they could donate to. Um, and so I would definitely recommend that group as well. Oh, excellent. The, yeah. where... So you've traveled quite a lot, or uh, I don't know if you've been to Southeast Asia, but the, are there any really beautiful places that when you go there, like when you leave, you're like, man, why can't I stay longer? Like, where, where are some like really beautiful places that people would be? Because apparently Antarctica is beautiful, even though I, oh. I imagine like this, just like this white thing, but there's like nuance, there's like blues and stuff. But yeah, yeah. So where, where are some like favorite beautiful places that you visited? Definitely Antarctica. Um, it's the most otherworldly place I've ever been. You, when you go there, you feel like you've just been dropped onto another planet. It's mm -hmm. just magnificent. The, the, the scope of it, the, the scale, the, and like you said, the blues, I mean, there's no, you have blues and grays and whites and, and, and you don't realize until you come back from Antarctica that you've been missing all these other colors mm -hmm. because of, there's so, it's so beautiful there. Um, so definitely Antarctica, New Zealand is another mm. favorite, and there's a lot of penguin species there as well that most people might, might not know that. Mm. Um, but New Zealand has a large number of different penguin species, and New Zealand is spectacularly beautiful. And, mm. you know, all these these scenes out of Lord of the Ring movies, yeah. you know, <laughs> that's where they filmed a lot of it. Mm -hmm. And um, like the Milford Sound, um, you know, these, these fjords that you're going through with 3,000-foot sheer walls that come down to the water. Um, mm just a really beautiful place. Um, where else? I'm, I'm thinking penguins. I don't know if you're just talking about penguins or, or in general, but those, yeah, those whatever favorites. Another one that surprised me was Boulder's beach in South Africa, because mm -hmm. when we were there for the penguin rescue, we literally always saw was inside of the warehouse, you know, that the penguins were being housed in for, for mm -hmm. three weeks. We didn't see anything else except for, the inside of the van that took us there and the inside of the warehouse. But on our last day, um, we took a little side trip on the way to the airport to Boulder's beach, which is where one of these mainland penguin colonies is. And I just, I hadn't expected the type of beauty, like the, the, the ocean, sort of this blue turquoise and these big round boulders everywhere and these cliffs going down to the ocean. It was just really breathtaking. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, those are some of the, 
highlights that pop mm-hmm. to mind when I think of beautiful places that I've been. Yeah, well, it's I always think it's fun to go like one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. It was completely on accident. I just like was driving out around with my girlfriend, and we just like went over the hill. It's like, oh, this is really beautiful here. Because so it's kind of fun to hear that like there's so much accidentalness to finding mm-hmm. like great places. And Boulder mm-hmm. uh, Beach apparently is very aptly named if it has big boulders. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. What are some like penguin facts? What are like the things that mo- like you said 13 of the 18 species are on the endangered list. So what are some other interesting things about penguins that, like, impassions you? Like, what are the things that, like, if you're at, like, a cocktail party or, or whatever, I don't, I've never been to a cocktail party, but, like, <laughs> you know, like, what are, what are the things you tell people about penguins? Well, honestly, I usually am not talking about penguins at cocktail parties, but, mm. <laughs> but um, yeah, so 13, and those numbers are fluid. So last year it was 15 of the 18 species were listed as either vulnerable, near threatened or endangered. Mm-hmm. And, and two of those changed. So now it's 13 of the 18. So every year, you know, or every couple of years, they're going out and doing nest counts and, mm-hmm. and readjusting the population counts and, and their, their status, their conservation status. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, you know, the fact that most penguin species have seen like a 50 to 90% decline over the last 50 to 100 years, mm-hmm. which is a very dramatic decline in the population. So, so, you know, they're really in a lot of trouble, uh, which mm-hmm. most people don't think about because you think about, especially places like Antarctica, where there are millions of penguins, there's four basic species there and they're those populations are pretty robust. Um, so people think, well, how can they be endangered? You see these pictures, these colonies with, you know, 500,000 penguins in it. And they think, eh, they're fine. Mm-hmm. But what they don't realize is more, more of the temperate species are really struggling. Um, so that's, that's one of the things that I'm sort of passionate of getting that message across to people. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of just, you know, uh, general things that, on an individual basis, one of the things that first surprised me about penguins, like the first day that I met them at the, when I got into the, the exhibit at the New England Aquarium, was how each individual penguin has a very unique and individual personality mm-hmm. and temperament, which I hadn't expected because, you know, they're these colonial birds and they all look alike and they all sound alike and that, you know, but they actually don't. There are subtle differences in how they look and how they sound. Like that's how they recognize each other is through the sound of the voice. Um, and so I was just really surprised to discover that they're really, they're kind of, they're amusing, they're cranky, they're, you know, they have just like any pet, you know, you would have, they all have their own unique personality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. I know penguins can be kind of violent. There's like <laughs> a, there's like a, a diary or something from the, one of the people who went out to the Antarctic and they were like, they, like they journaled it. And then they mm-hmm. found like real, they were like very violent, but it was like so violent that they like hid the journal because they oh, didn't think. Yeah. yeah. I know what you're talking about. And also because the, there's like, and, and, and weird penguin sex. They, they <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Too, I right? try, yeah. I was trying to dial it down. I was like, just violence. <laughs> just. So. <laughs> I know the one you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, they, it's interesting because I, I don't know if it just sort of, it seems so violent because of the British sensibilities back in the 1800s when this was, I think it was the 1800s, right? That that was recorded. Um, I mean, certainly like any wild animal, they're going to be territorial, you know? So the violence is usually over territory or a mate. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, they can have very bloody battles. They can kill each other, but they don't usually. That's, you know, killing each other is not a, a common thing that happens at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but they can, you know, they can get into some pretty bloody battles, mm-hmm. um, but they're, they're usually not always, but usually fairly quick. Um, but they'll, they'll fight over territory. They'll fight over mates. Um, but in general, you know, it behooves them to get along with each other cause they're, they're going to be on land mm-hmm. raising their, you know, sitting on their eggs and raising those chicks for a few months at a time. Mm-hmm. So it behooves you to get along with your neighbors, you know? Yeah. Um, so in general, they're not violent. Like you might see some fighting going on, certainly, but it's usually more just like a little squabbles. It's Mm. not, it doesn't usually devolve into these horrible, bloody battles, you know? Mm. I mean, I, I, 
Yeah, I have some video actually from my trip to Antarctica at the end of 2016 with Homeward Bound, which was a leadership uh, initiative for women in science. There were 76 women from around the globe that were chosen for this expedition. And um, we were down there for three weeks with Greg Mortimer, who's this incredible mountaineer and expedition leader. Um, but we <laughs> we were on Paulette Island, which has about a quarter of a million Adelie penguins on it. It's this, you know, incredible colony. And they were in the middle of breeding season. And for about 45 minutes, we watched this, this crazy penguin just harassing all these other nesting penguins and just causing trouble. And he just, they would, you know, chase him out of the area and he just kept coming back. And they'd chase him out and come back. And we're like, that penguin is demented. Like he's, <laughs> he's totally demented. And I've got video of it and it's kind of, it's ridiculous. So yeah. They can they can they can uh, act in bizarre ways from time to time, just like people can. No, oh, yeah. The, yeah. So going from kind of a negative thing, because we kind of talked about how populations are going down, you know, thirteen out of the eighteen, which is better than fifteen out of the eighteen. Right. Yeah. What are some hopeful things? Like, what are the you know, like what are the things that would not be covered in the news because they're good news? Hopefully, there is good news. <laughs> I have to think about this harder. <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, I think sort of maybe going back to our conversation at the beginning, how there are more people uh, who are getting involved and because of social media and because of, you know, Kickstarters and fundraisers, um, I think more people are becoming aware that penguin populations are in trouble and they're finding out about some of these different organizations. I mean, Sankob is just one. I in the appendix of my book, I've got a list of basically almost all of the penguin rescue centers throughout the Southern Hemisphere that people can donate to. So that's in the second appendix of the book. Okay. Um, and so there are a lot of different groups. And because of now the 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 web, um, people can find these groups and donate to them. Mm -hmm. So. I think people, a lot of them are getting more effective at social media and at getting the message out there. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's a positive. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Yeah. I, I always wonder about finding the right nonprofits. Yeah. Because, you know, like there's some that they take the money and then they don't do anything. But like, right. I, yeah. But, you know, I would say to the best of my knowledge, all of the groups that are helping penguins, they're all legit. Mm -hmm. I, I, there's not one that I've heard about that is not legit. And, mm -hmm. you know, I've met many of these people, um, you know, every three years, there's what's called the international penguin conference. It happens in a different city around the world, um, every three years. And I've been going to that conference, uh, not every single time, but since 2000. And mm -hmm. so I've gotten to know a lot of these researchers. I've gotten to know a lot of these people that run these organizations that have started these rescue centers and are, are running them. And I mean, these are salt of the earth people. You know, they are all incredibly dedicated and humble and hardworking and and honest and, you know, only have the penguins best interest at mind. And and I have not come across one that is not legit or that is not using the money the way they should. Mm -hmm. So I would say, you know, unlike some uh, organizations or some different areas with with the penguins, um, I, I'd say you're pretty much safe donating to just about anybody. Um, mm. But if you want to be sure, that appendix in the book, it's the in the Great Penguin Rescue, the second appendix does have a list of all these different groups. So mm. if people were like, I want to make sure you can, you know, get the book or get it out of the library and and look at that appendix for the different groups. And I'm I'm in the process of having a new website built, and mm. so I will have the list of all of those groups also on the website. So hopefully that will be up in the next mm, two months, maybe I'll have a new right. website. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. That, that's, that's good to know. And you would know because it's like when you're in the <laughs> ecosystem of something, you know, you kind of hear about who's hard to work with or who's great to work with. So you would know right. if there's like rumbling. So that's good. That's, that's heartening to know, like it's going in the right direction. Yeah. So we yeah. mentioned uh, books a couple of times. Are there niche books on penguins and conservation? In, gen in general, that you recommend people check out? I know you have a yeah, book, so probably yours too. Well, yeah, <laughs> that one would be one if they want to learn about the treasure oil spill. They can read my book, The Great Penguin Rescue. But outside of that, the one that I this is um well your users can't see, but I want to show you. It's called Penguins: Natural History and Conservation, mm -hmm. and this is by De Borsma and Pablo. Um, and this is 
the the most recent, most definitive book about penguins and penguin conservation. Mm -hmm. So it's they've edited this. They have um, for each species in the book, they've gone to sort of the leading field researcher to get all the information. And this would definitely be the number one book that I would recommend if people want to learn about um, different penguin species and the conservation. And it's sort of the updated version of this book called The Penguins by Tony D. Williams, mm -hmm. which is still an excellent book. Um, but you know, on eBay, you might pay 75 bucks for this book. It's hard to find. It doesn't come yeah. up very often, but again, a really, really good book about every one of the species details down to what is the, the beak depth and the wing length and yeah. the size of the egg and the incubation. And it's sort of, um, really great for detailed information. So those would be the top two penguin books that I would recommend to people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the second one looked like the penguins are holding hands, and I like that. <laughs> I, I missed that. You're right. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I'm like looking at my – I'm scanning my list of questions to make sure we're, we're getting through them all. Um, okay. So I think we answered pretty clearly what people can do every day. You know, uh, be mindful of the plastic. That's a that's a huge one. Um, yeah. My, my girlfriend and I, like, we just – we recycle. And just the plastic that we are specifically doing, and we don't right. really use that much plastic. It's like a week goes by, and it's like, wow, this – now yeah. imagine 500 families or like, you know, 200,000 people in a city or something like that all right. doing that. It's like, I can see how it adds up. Yeah. So, I mean, everything is packaged in plastic now. But yeah. the cool thing, too, is like in New York City and I think some other cities, there are people starting stores that are um, uh, what's so package free. Mm -hmm. So you go into the store and there's nothing you don't take home a package of anything like you bring your own containers or you bring your own bags and and so they're trying to reduce all that packaging waste which i think we have to do a lot more of that yeah. a lot more of that yeah and then uh in norway they have like this thing where you like when you go out for a run or go for a walk like you grab a bag you find like fill it up with stuff so i think that's that's how uh -huh. i've been doing a lot lately and it, there's like a, there's a beautiful state park near me and there's like bottles everywhere and it's like why would you do this it's like yeah. the people who go to a state park and smoke. It's like, why would you, why would you mix those things? I, whenever I see people smoking when they're hiking, I'm like, really? Yeah, it's like you're doing something healthy. You're in nature. Well, then the people who listen to music while they're out, out like in nature, it's like, listen to the birds, man. Like, stop. <laughs> uh, I would literally went for a walk yesterday with uh, Amy, and like there was people just like smoking and listening to loud music, and like I don't know, there's like beautiful balls and I don't, we don't I won't go off on that but are there okay so advice for people starting their journey is there like um, an experiment they could run it to see if like conservation is the thing they want to get into is there like a little like I think volunteering would probably be what you'd recommend but is there like yeah. a, a good way to immerse yourself to see if this is for you and like how people would progress through the like kind of you like how you have because like I think your story is really great in the fact that you went back and you worked hard and you've been able to, you know, provide value and like help you know, the, the community. So, so I, I imagine like you might have an intake on that, like how to do it. Well, really, I think it goes back to what you just mentioned, what we talked about earlier. And, and my number one piece of advice for people that at least want to do sort of what I did in terms of, you know, zoo and aquarium, working with animals in some capacity is volunteering. I, I, I really can't stress that enough for many reasons. Um, most importantly, I think it helps you to uh, get a feel for what it really might be like. Like you might think, oh, they're so cute. And I want to, you know, hold them and kiss them. And, you know, that's not what it's about. It's a lot of really dirty, disgusting work. And and unless you kind of get your hands wet, your feet wet, you're, you're not going to know that. So I think it's really important when you're trying to make that decision to volunteer. Mm -hmm. um, and and that will give you the feel for it. And to if it is it the right fit or not. You know, you might find like, oh, my God, I this is all I want to do the rest of my life. Or you might be like, oh, God, that is awful. I don't want to ever scrub penguin poo again, mm -hmm. you know, off of an island. So mm -hmm. so I think that's the key thing. Um, yeah. I, and, and also in terms of just getting your foot in the door, I think that's really critical as well mm -hmm. and, and in this field more than in some fields. It's it's really important for the people to see how you fit in in the team, you know, got to be for the type of work that I started doing, you've got to be a team player. Yeah. You, you have to be mature. You have to be, you have to have good observation skills. Um, you have to be passionate about it because a lot of it is cold, hard, dirty work and not glamorous at all. 
Um, you know, you have to be dedicated. You have to be persistent. There's a lot of qualities that you need um, to kind of get to make it in the field. Mm -hmm. So, and I think the best way to do that is by volunteering. Right. Like a yeah. local universe, like like a local thing. There's not yeah. like a good one website online that people could go to to find volunteering, is there? Oh, you know, there used to be. And I, I think that website has disappeared. There used to be yeah. a really good one for specifically this kind of a field. Mm -hmm. um, and I haven't seen that website in a really long time. Well, I think it's gone now, but. What was it called? I'll try to find a similar one. And link oh, in the show I can't remember there. the name. I, I'll have to look. There, 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 the, there was one about volunteer working with marine mammals. Mm -hmm. And I, it might be that, but I haven't looked for a while. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll, I'll take a quick, I'll, I'll see if I can find the one I'm thinking of mm -hmm. because it was a long, it's been years since I've seen it, mm -hmm. but I used to refer people to it all the time. Um, so I'll see if I can track it down. It may, it may or may not exist anymore. Mm -hmm. That's all right. I'll let you know uh, and put it in the show notes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. The, I think there's, there's always conservation opportunities around you, even if it's just like picking up trash. I don't know. There's always something, right? right? So, well, and it may not be too. I always tell people, you know, you you don't necessarily need to volunteer at the zoo or aquarium if you can't if there's not one near you. But zoo, but volunteer in an animal shelter. You mm -hmm. know, see what it's like to be cleaning up dog vomit and cat poo, and you know, because it's mm -hmm. it, that's working with animals. It's it's a lot of gross stuff. It's not just oh, they're adorable animals. Um, so that's part of it. Mm -hmm. So even if it's a shelter or an animal hospital near you or a farm you know, something to do with animals, it will help you. Yeah. That's, I always think it's funny when people don't know like basic animal knowledge. Like when I was younger, I grew up on a farm. I'll say this like quick anecdote and then I'll get to our last question. But I, I, we raised chickens and I would put uh, hen eggs in the rooster cages and then mm. parents would come by and be like, see kids, the rooster lays the eggs. And so there's like an entire generation of kids who think roosters lay eggs. And it's fantastic, <laughs> but they don't know any better. That <laughs> um, was great. So, all right, um, last question. So we talked like how you got to where you are. We talked about some great conservation opportunities, things you've done. What are, what's the next, like what, what's the future hold for you? What do you want to do? Like what is the next big mountain that you're climbing? Like, you know, like, is there something that you're thinking about that even you're, you're like, I don't know if I could do this, but it's going to be great if I can. That's a really good question. And it's something I've been thinking a lot about, actually, um, because for me, the 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 most recent big mountain was getting hired by Lynn Blad and National Geographic. That that had been my goal, basically, since I started my company. I'm like, someday I'm going to lecture for them in Antarctica. And so that has been huge thrill. And now that I've been invited back, I'm like, awesome, you know, so Hopefully this will be a, an annual gig with them. Mm -hmm. So, so that had been sort of like my next big mountain. And so, but something else I've been thinking about as the next big mountain is, is really, um, doing more keynote speeches. So mm -hmm. at a very high level, um, because, you know, now I've, I've lectured, I've been doing public speaking for 20 years now. I've been lecturing about penguins for 20 years. Um, but but it's been shifting into I keep getting asked to talk about other things. And so the things over the like the last five years I keep getting asked to talk about are talks about believing in yourself and pursuing your dreams, talks about mentoring, which actually I in a week and a half, I'm going out to um, Fargo to speak at the university out there at their mentorship banquet mm -hmm. because he saw my TEDx talk that was done at TEDx Drew Middle School four years ago. Um, and, and so about mentoring and about how to give a Ted talk, cause I've done four TEDx's and a video for Ted ed. So mm -hmm. those are the things I keep getting asked more and more to speak about. And so bringing that up to sort of the next level, um, as a keynoter is, you know, and, and when I say that, that's, you know, you're talking a completely different level in terms of audience, in terms of size, in terms of, uh, finances, you know, what you're getting paid. So that's sort of the the next goal on the horizon that mm -hmm. that I'm aiming for. I, yeah. I don't I don't know why I thought of this, but the, if you had like a really like high end like um, speech where you had everyone dressed as penguins, <laughs> I don't know why. But like you know, like how people dress up like in, in tuxes. Like well, this time when you come to this to learn about penguin conservation, you have to be a penguin. I don't know. It's <laughs> like the image of you like speaking to a bunch of penguins. Like so, for some reason really amused me, but I know you're not speaking of penguins. But, uh, 
for well, actually, you're reminding me of because uh, I speak to all different ages, and there's this one school that I've been going to for like ten years, and I speak at that school. I speak to the kindergartner kids, and and we do this very interactive, like be a penguin for a day thing, and and the last couple of years they have these, they've made these little penguin headbands with different species, and they all color them, so they have their own individual penguin, which I. I Love it. Like I look out and there's all these little adorable kids with penguins on their heads. So they I've sort of had that happen. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's good to know that I'm not yeah. just crazily imagining penguins. But the, so for people who want to follow along in your journey and be supportive, how, how could they do that? How could the uh, people who are listening, I don't know, me as well, how can we help you in your journey of following um, along and whatnot? Well, you can follow, you know, I'm on social media as the Penguin Lady. So I'm on Facebook, Twitter, although Twitter I'm not terribly active on. It's just sort of linked to my Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, all of that as the Penguin Lady. As I said, I'm having a new website built. The The old one's still up there, but it's it's very outdated. So, um, yeah, <laughs> the old, I'll send you a link to a temporary one that I have um, that has a lot more information and links to all of uh, my videos. Um, But, you know, other things that people can do, I mean, they can read my book, The Great Penguin Rescue, about the treasure oil spill rescue. And that has a lot of information, not just about the rescue effort, but about penguins in general and their conservation. Mm -hmm. So it's also a good resource for learning more about what's happening with penguins in the wild. Um, But yeah, just educate themselves, you know, like, They'd be, they'd make me happy if they, you know, went to like carbonfootprint.org and learned what their carbon footprint is and how to reduce it. They'd make me happy if they donated to Sandcob. Um, you know, they'd make me happy if they decided to pursue a dream they had. Um, you know, I, part of my mission is to do what I can to, to help penguins. And part of it is really becoming inspiring other people to pursue their own dreams as well. Um, so yeah, those, those were things that would make me happy. And that was Diane Tanopoli, a penguin expert, Ted talk speaker, and award-winning author of the great penguin rescue. You should check that out. Even if it's just at your local library, there's, it's, it's actually quite a nice read. She's been on the BBC, the CNN, Homeward Bound, which was also with Heidi, the other person who was released today. She's been to Antarctica. She's, I mean, she's been all over the world. It's really fantastic. She has a Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And she is known at the, as the Penguin Lady. Pretty much, you type in the Penguin Lady, you're going to get Diane Dinopoli. I hope everyone enjoyed this episode. Got something really unique and special about it. I think there there's a lot that I took away personally. And so I'm kind of curious what everyone else took away as well. So even if you leave a comment in the section on my website or leave a review or shoot me an email, like, let me know what you think. Because I generally want to know if this is the type of content you like, if this is not the type of content you like. I just want to hear your feedback. And I hope I get to hear that. Thank you for joining us today with Learning with Lowell. I am your host, Lowell Thompson. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. We can be found on Twitter at Lowell Was Here, Facebook, and on the website, learningwithlowell.com. Also sign up for the newsletter where you can hear amazing content every Monday, new episodes every Tuesday, and new blog posts around every Thursday. Remember to share and tell your friends. Please and thank you. (laughs) 